So I run down and I get to it and it's in one of the consultation rooms. And as I come in, I see um, this distressed person with a little kind of knife right here at the wrist, sitting there kind of like really distressed. And basically insinuating she's going to slash her wrist open right there and now, kind of highly distressed. What's going on? My name is Gio. And this is me, LJ. And welcome to The Assessment, proudly part of the West West Network family. Oh, tech support. Why do we need to go through this every time we start a podcast? <laughs> to be fair, I'm the same as well. There's always something, right? We've used Zoom so many times, but there's always something. There's always something in there that just fucks up at the last minute, especially at the last minute, right? Right before you're about to start. That's, oh, the, that's the thing, you know, because um, it's it's Ilana's laptop, so I'm not even sure where everything is, you know, and then there's the different accounts. and. Well, for, yeah. from a guy who's used Zoom on his phone for the past, since the beginning of the bloody <laughs> pandemic, you know, I, I'm not surprised. I'm not surprised at all. Uh, How are you doing, that, dude? How's your day I've, been? I've, I've had a good day. Um, I, I went for the mask fitting today. Yeah, I can um, see because you've shaved your face completely. Yeah, and I must say it feels very weird because I'm usually a bit of a short stubble or, you know, mm. then I grow the beard and shave it down to a stubble again. Um, yeah. So I'm not always clean shaven, so it's, it's on a rare. Um, Look like a schoolboy. Yeah. Even if you my... put on a uniform, you could easily pass for like seven form or something. How <laughs> <laughs> uh, was the mask asked... fitting thing? Um, it was good. Uh you know, initially when they kind of booked me in to do this, the mask fitting, um, so that's with the N95 mask, mm. I didn't really see the point because, you know, who can't put on a mask, you know, it's two straps that goes over your head, you know, and there you are, you know. <laughs> and here they book you in and it's quite serious, you know, it's a half an hour booking. Um, so they kind so of spray kind of- you with stuff. Oh, well, first off, I, co- I failed it straight away. Purely because I ref- I'm, I'm not going to shave my beard. Well, not shave. We'll shave. We'll, we'll see how that goes. Depends if my um, uh, employment's on the line. <laughs> we'll have to double check that. Um, but but so with the fitting, they 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 kind of put you the N95 mask on and they start spraying shit. Do you, can you explain it to me? Because I actually actually didn't go through it. Yeah. So I was I was curious to see what does this training of half an hour actually look like. Like why would they need so much time and everything? And why is it such, such a big thing? Mm. Um, so I was kind of more curious as well. Um, so I went, you know, and, and now reflecting on the training, I can actually see what it's all about. So I guess now, you know, with the COVID-19 pandemic out there, um, you know, they want to make sure that the frontline staff, you know, especially healthcare workers, the nurses, um, know how to put it on properly, I guess, to protect themselves, you know, from possibly picking it up. Um, and I guess there's a lot of, bad practice out there you know kind of people don't really put it properly hey um, don't look at me i i, <laughs> I have not been done for bad practice ever okay never ever ever <laughs> and, and and i and, and um i kind of so that so in the scheme of things that basically it looks like these different brands of n95 mass different um kind of sizes and they basically to see which one fits your face piece with the best seal, I guess. Mm. Um, and then they give you a card to say you actually have passed it. So you actually have to do a breathing test. So there's a tube with air that basically measures the air, you know, that you breathe in and out to seal, see if the... 
like your lung capacity. Do they are they testing your lung capacity? Is that what they're doing? I'm, I think they're testing to see whether the mask is um, effective with with um, how it's basically breathing in a way to see if the same amount of air goes in and out oh, through the right, mask. Right, right, right. Yeah, because because they're testing for the seals, right? They're testing for yeah. the seals around your face. Yeah. Okay. So did you pass? I passed it. So I had to stand up and I had to look up and down, you know, breathe, and had to talk and read a sentence and look to my left and breathe, look to my right and breathe, look down and breathe, stand up again and breathe. Um, you have no idea how exhausting <laughs> that already sounds to me. Like just, just, just hearing that uh, we're like, Oh, I'll just catch COVID then. I don't want to nice... catch COVID. <laughs> I don't want to catch COVID. I take that back. <laughs> And in the end, they gave me a card to say, I have officially passed my mask fitting test. Well, good for you. You can add that along with your vaccine certificates, your, yes. your, all, your vaccine passports, and all the other new, new forms of ID we're going to be needing over the next couple of years while we get through this pandemic. Oh, man. Yeah, it was interesting, Giovanni, because, um, you know... Um, so what they're basically saying is from now on every year they want to do this test, you know, for us to do the N95 five mask fitting just to see, you know, have I gained weight, lost weight, you know, um, as you get older, your face might change. So they want to make sure you're still doing That is it. rude. That is none of their business, whether we gain weight or lose weight. Uh, it's none of their and, business. And basically to see whether the mask, you know, am I still you know, does it still fit my face? You know, and do I still have the correct eye? And there's a proper procedure how to put it on and how to take it off as well, which they kind of um, touch base on. Is the N95 mask single use? So do you get a new mask with every patient interaction? Giovanni, I see it as a single use um, mask because that to me makes sense. Um, but then you do have the resource. Is there enough mass for everyone, especially if you use single use? But that's what I've been doing, single use. Yeah, yeah. Well, I would assume it would be single use. But mm. it's, man, just the amount of money that they're sinking into all mm. this new PPE gear is ridiculous, eh? Mm. I'd love to see what that spreadsheet looks like. You know, the amount that's allocated in our budget for like PPE. It'll be heaps. So whoever whoever uh, is contracted to produce these PPE gear is making a killing at the moment, huh? Mm. And it kind of, as something stood out as in our pre, one of our previous podcasts, uh, we spoke about, you know, all these interventions they put in place, you know, for example, like scanning in and out of shops and wearing masks, you know, and mm. um, is that only short-term intervention or longer term? And, you know, when that person said to me, you know, in a year's time, I'll see you again with my mask coming out, <laughs> I didn't really like what I heard. <laughs> Well, see, I'm, I'm not sure how long I'm going to last just having this beard because I went in. I was actually the first in our building that was booked in for the for the mask fitting. I went in. She looked at me and said, I'm not even going to bother. You know, I'm not even going to bother putting and testing you for all these things because your beard is pretty much not a no go. And then she didn't put any pressure on me. Very surprising. I thought I was going to be told that I have to shave. Still may do. You know, so probably the next time people see me on this podcast, I'm going to be cleanly shaved. Mustache at a minimum, mustache at a minimum. But yeah, they just said I can't do it. So they failed me on it straight away. And I'm going to have to win here back from the managers and see what the fuck I have to do. do I'm actually- still wearing the N95. You know, I'm still wearing it. I just don't think it's as effective as like it because it doesn't have a proper seal around my face. Mm, that's what I actually wanted to ask. So at the moment, our instructions is that we have to wear 
um, N95 mask at every client contact. Mm. Um, but then, you know, you've not been fitted as yet, um, but you're still using one. I'm still using one. Still I'm using, using that. One. I'm using the, the visor. So I'm using the head visor. Um, I'm basically using mostly all of the PPE gear that is available right now. Um, but, but you know, the, the, the instructions change week in, week out. So, you know, what what's kind of agreed upon this week is most likely going to be different next week, which goes back to our last conversation about consistency and not being able to sort of consistently have a plan, you know, moving forward. So, yeah, who knows? Who knows? They may say, oh, you know what? N95s are not as effective as we thought they were. Everyone just use surgical masks because really it's much cheaper. Who, who the fuck knows? Yeah, Who and there's, the an, there's basically an update now as well on our screening tool. So, you know, we have a, initially there was a big screening tool. You had to ask so many questions before you can even start a conversation. Um, can you imagine what it's like if somebody's in real distress or quite mm. anxious or hallucinating, mm. having to do some, you know, COVID-19 or highly paranoid uh, highly government paranoid, agencies? Yeah. Um, and <laughs> Asking all these very intrusive questions too, eh? Yeah. Quite intrusive. Yeah. Um, but now it's basically saying that, um, you know, no matter what the end result is, you'll still wear full PPE. Um, so now it's kind yeah. of blue or yellow screen. So we're kind of, so our screening tool is, is basically divided into a couple of things, right? So we have different color schemes. I've got it here in front of me. Look at that. That's how dedicated I am. I've got the screening tool right in front of me. So we have blue, which is basically everything that you basically dress up as a tank before you go meet a person so that's um, the people who's in self-isolated yeah or, yeah know, so those are people in. that are presenting with symptoms or are close contacts or you know uh then there's yellow stream and, and it kind of goes down you know then there's yellow stream then there's lilac stream and then there's white stream but at the moment with uh the new update we have to assume everyone's blue so or that's basically blue or full, yellow blue or yellow so basically yeah. that's full ppe gear which kind of begs the question what's the point of screening I, I mean should we still be screening if we have to assume everyone's in the blue category or uh purple purple not purple yellow yellow category yeah. because then because we have to wear full ppe gear anyway even today, there was a discussion at the office about how we're actually going to do this because half of the team were under the impression that we have to go full PPE gear. And then the other side of the team was like, no, we do the screening and it depends on the screening. Um, so like I said, there's, there's, there's no consistency coming from our, our team at the moment, which, which is really difficult. Um, and I think it's coming from like much, much higher up than actually people in our building. So we're kind of getting fed this information down and then, you know, our bosses are trying to sort of muddle their way through it to try and, you know, disperse it out to the wider team. And there's no consistency in it because last week it was different. The week before that, it was different. The week before that was different. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised, but, you know, by the start of next week, you know, they're going to, you know, bring in something new. Like, I don't know what you think, but why don't we just run full precautions for a period of time? at least for a month, you know, you know, fuck the screening. Everyone's will consider everyone blue and we just do full PPE gear. What, what can that hurt aside from the budget of the DHB? But, you know, mm. wouldn't that be a much more sensible argument than to sort of say, okay, this week we're going to do this. And then this week we're going to do that the following week, you know, possibly we'll be doing this. Oh no, let's backtrack. Let's do this. 
But that's the thing, Giovanni, I agree, you know, it would be nice to have some consistency um, because we are kind of spammed with emails at the moment, kind of with expectations on how to approach COVID-19, the updates around COVID-19, mm. what PPE and everything. So many emails that it's nearly impossible to kind of read through every single email and actually, okay, now I have to wear full PPE. Now I, you know, this is the new screening mm. tool. Um, so some of my colleagues literally just skim through it um, and then they miss pieces. Um, I'm one of those people. I'm one of those you people. Know, you so kind of get, which is not good, you know, and, and I'm not condoning it. I think we should, I mean, it's really important that we go through those things, but you get sent the same email daily that, you know, you, you, you've got a lot of stuff you need to do to the day. You know, sometimes you only have a couple of minutes to sort of get a couple of things done. And if you're getting the same email over and over again, and it's not actually highlighting whether there's any changes, it's kind of like the same email or updates. Um, it's quite easy to miss some of these changes, you know? So what I am doing at the moment, I guess that's, you know, how inconsistent the info is, is each mm. nurse, each person has a different take on things. Um, so it's either blue or yellow um, and full PPE is worn, but if a person, for example, is in self-isolation or, you know, or mm. has COVID, comes to the building, um, then they are in a, you know, kind of like separate part of the building and, you know, full mm. PP and everything is used. Can't come into the general front door, I guess. But if it's home visits, I guess that's the same, just full PPE. You know, I, I can't see any mm. different. In it. The difficulty with, with that, I mean, the difficulty with the home visits, especially the clients that we see, it's very hard to get an accurate screening done for them because a lot of them either don't don't trust us enough to tell us a majority of their whereabouts. You know, sometimes their whereabouts are in illegal areas, you know, tiny houses, you know, purchasing stuff like that. Not everyone, but, you know, that it, it does happen. Um, some, some of them actually sometimes a bit too thought disorder to actually remember where they've where they've been and, and the context that they've been in um you know we've got a lot of um, people who have who have chronic schizophrenia that probably are, are so um so deep within their own psychosis that sometimes they, they're just not really sure you know who they've interacted during the day so we we have a lot of high-risk people of, of of contracting covid and our screening tool is not that it's not built directly for for our clients that's 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 the main point i guess i wanted to point out these these questions are for your everyday you know population you know people who show up to ed you know your 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 mom and dad and parents you know out there not necessarily directly for mental health clients so i don't see a reason why we shouldn't i mean it's summer and i really would rather not wear wear the full yellow gown and and mask and gloves and and the whole shebang for for every single home visit and then having to do that but to me that makes more sense you know it makes more sense we just take that kind of precaution and then we just kind of continue with that moving forward Mm -hmm. um because there's more and more people in in especially out west that's starting to contract covid you know Mm -hmm. so it's only a matter of time before our team's going to get hit with 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 Mm -hmm. with one of those bombs Shock on not me, by the way. Mm-hmm. But you know, something I've noticed, um, this is more a personal take on, on um, the PPE. Mm. I find it very impersonable. So when you consider mental health, a lot of people, you know, we see is in, in, in quite a lot of the stress, you know, whether it's through psychosis or whatever is happening 
that person at that time. Mm -hmm. And I didn't realize how much, uh, for example, my body language, uh, how much of it I actually used to help calm a situation or Mm. to connect a bond with a person. You know, um, we call that, 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 you know, the therapeutic use of yourself, you know, how, you know, your body language, you know, how you kind of your facial expressions, Mm. your tone of voice, your whole presence. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, because that in itself, not just what you're saying, kind of saying to the person, hey, you're in safe hands or hey, you can actually trust me or hey, it's okay, let's talk about things. Where if you have a mask, if you have full gown and gloves mm-hmm. and eyewear, it's really hard for me to have that connectedness or mm-hmm. that, you know, the ability to use myself therapeutically, mm-hmm. you know. Kind it's of- that power imbalance, eh? I mean, that's a big reason why we don't wear uniform out of the communities is that massive power imbalance. If, if you have nurses showing up to your house in, in your usual nursing um, scrubs, you know, <clears throat> A, it's a big breach of privacy because, you know, your neighbor is going to look and know that you're being followed up by this, that, or the other. Um, but on the other side of things, it, it's, it's very, especially if you've had traumatic experiences being admitted to hospitals, which it can be, you know, um, that, that negative connotation with, comes with, with uniforms. You know, it, it can be very traumatizing. So if you see, especially if you see someone show up in the in, in those yellow gowns, you know, mm. <laughs> it's very intimidating, especially with all the assumptions your neighbors will be having. Mm. Like, oh, fuck, someone in my neighborhood has COVID. God damn it. That's that's a good point, Giovanni, because um, so I've, you know, been out on a few home visits and I've been wearing full PPE and I stand out, you know, my colleagues. It's bright yellow. It's bright yellow. <laughs> it's you bright know? fucking yellow. You're gonna stand out in the dark. <laughs> and, a, and, and a lot of people we work with, you know, stigma is still a big thing out there, mm. you know. And a lot of people don't, for example, want their neighbors to know they're being, you know, like receiving support from um, mental health services, for example. Mm. Um, they don't necessarily want unnecessary attention drawn to their homes because they already feel a bit paranoid or, mm. you know. Um, privacy and, and, and all those things can come into play. And here I'm doing a home visit, you know, and I'm dressed in full yellow, but I, like, look at me, you know. And yeah. So people already, it's a bit awkward, you know, um, you know, mm. me knocking on the door, you know, in my outfit. So I'm mindful of all these mm. things, I'm, you know. You, you can feel how wary the neighbors are. You know, from a clinician's point of view, having to get dressed and then go out to someone's house. And more often than not, people live either in the back of in houses or in blocks or they live in boarding houses and having to walk past all these people and, and everyone's staring at you. All the assumptions are it's like, oh, shit, someone's got COVID, you know, so I mean, because we're in full full PPE gear, mm. you know, full mask and 95 masks. We've either got the visor or the goggles or, you know, so it's um. It can be very daunting because you don't know what people will do or what people will assume about what you're doing there. But yeah, yeah. It, it's the it's gonna be our it's gonna be the norm moving forward. I, I guess. I wanted to ask you something interesting. It comes down to a little bit to say health and I would say health and safety it touches on that subject a bit. Yes, I'm I'm so, a, I'm a pro at this. I'm a pro me at too, health no. and safety <laughs> or getting into very unsafe place situations maybe. So okay. what I've noticed, you know, is some of the, some, sometimes I do home visits to service user or clients where there's a lot of risk associated, you know, whether it's related to verbal aggression, physical aggression, you know, element of substance abuse, whatever that may be. Mm. And I'm 
quite wary of my surroundings when I do home visits, you know, especially, you know, what flatmates or people is in the area, but especially towards the person I'm seeing as well to um, just make sure I'm safe as well, you, you know. But I find when I wear my full PPE, especially the goggles, my peripheral vision is not that great, <laughs> um, which um, I've noticed it got me in a bit of a tricky situation, um, you know, recently. Um, Do tell. what What is this tricky situation you got yourself into? <laughs> These are my it, favorite it, stories, whatever you get into. It's always something hilarious. But, so nothing big happened here. Just I did a home visit and I kind of knocked on the door. Nobody answered and stuff. Um, and I just kind of scooped back and somebody eventually did come through the front door and stuff. But so quickly, I wasn't actually prepared for that that person approaching me in such a quick, so I couldn't actually say is this person aggressive or not, you know, did, did I have a weapon or not? Um, so it kind of flustered me a little bit and my goggles and everything. Fortunately, it was fine. I could actually continue, but I was mindful that, you know, um, mm. this could have been kind of avoided if I, if I didn't struggle with my vision. But so mm. it just made me mindful that, um, you know, my, my, my vision and everything has impacted a bit. Yeah. Probably ever since I've seen sort of on my end, but I'm always wary when I do home visits too. Yeah, I think we're wary because of some of the experiences we've had in the past, right? I mean, when we go to home visits, we meet a lot of people who have had very traumatic uh, pasts, especially when they're quite unwell. You know, they've done some very questionable things, shall we say. Um, and a lot of them are very traumatized by the system, have been in and out of jail, you know. Um, and can be quite aggressive and quite uh, quite threatening. It reminds me, <laughs> it reminds me of that story when me and you went over to see this dude, um, and he had just gone out of jail, and he it was last minute. He was he was coming off the mental health act, so we had to go out and see him real quickly, um, just touch base, let him know that he's got a doctor's appointment coming up in a couple of days, and you know it's one of those courtesy calls where we're going to show up. You know, he didn't have a he didn't have a phone to call on. So we're just going to show up, hand him a letter, you know, kind of suss out the situation, see how he's doing. And we go up. It must have been quite early in the morning, I think nine, ten, like quite early in our in our day. And we go, we show up, we knock on the door and then this woman opens the door and then, you know, I'm looking for blah, blah, blah. And then she goes, oh, yeah, he's just around the corner there. And then I see this guy peeking around the corner and then he kind of peek and then he kind of leaves. And then I think like a couple of seconds later, he comes back and it's that dude with who, who had no shirt on. And then he kind of <laughs> like, yeah. do you remember that? And then he kind of like walks up real staunch, like, you know, puff chest, you know, and then he kind of stands like literally, you know, a couple of, <laughs> a couple of like, you know, <laughs> centimeters from my face. And then he's like, he was solidly built as well. Bro, he was know. solid as he was solid as he was fucking, you know, he had that prison body, you know, he, he can fucking hit some shit. I can tell you that. And then he's like, what the fuck are you doing here? Who are you? Who the fuck are you? You know, and then we start trying to explain ourselves. And then I'm standing my ground. He's standing his ground. And then <laughs> and then he starts flexing his his, his, his chest at us. He just starts bouncing up and down. Um, at the time, it was at the time I was in, in high alert, right? This guy's trying to staunch me out. He's, he's, you know, he's trying to intimidate me. But I still, you know, but I kind of stood there. Had what I had to say, said what I had to say, but but that kind of situation, you know, it could have gone either way. You know, if I came on too strong, you know, maybe he would have become really aggressive. If I came 
on too soft then he would have tried to sort of use that as an advantage and take it you know take advantage of the situation you know get us to try and get us to do things which could then escalate into him getting angrier because we weren't going to do any of that stuff but it just it just you know that situation always <laughs> reminds me you know that anything could happen you know you should kind of show up expecting you always expect to have a good day right you come up to work you always expect things are going to go well you know whatever you planned out for the day is just going to be good and then you, your first visit for the day is is getting staunched out <laughs> by this dude with no t-shirt <laughs> and i always crack up because when i think back at it again i reckon the guy saw us come he peeked around the corner he ran back took his t-shirt off probably did a couple of push-ups and then he started marching out and then just trying to sort of intimidate us um, you know, those, those situations but, happen more often than not. It happens, but yeah, I always smile, you know, it was a week or two later, I can't remember, I was kind of standing in on your behalf, and I did a home visit to the same address for the same person. That's right. But the, but the doctor was present, you know, and he opened the door, you know, and he, he knew we were coming, we kind of made sure, you know, with invitations and things, and or doctor appointment letters, and he invite us, invited us into the lounge. And as we walked in, they, it was nice and clean. And there was a nice Bible, you know, lying in front of the coffee table in front of us, you know. And <laughs> he was so gentle, so polite, you know. And I was like, wow, you know, what a different type of home is it, you mm. know. So it, it was one of those tricky situations because it was a guy that had not been followed up by our services for two years. He ended up in jail and he was still under the mental effect. Um, in jail, you can't have the mental effect enforced so it, it, it means nothing in jail if you guys want to know what the mental effect check our last episode we kind of go into a deep dive about that um and because he was on an indefinite order which means only the doctor can take him off um he came out of jail and he was still under the act even though he wasn't getting any treatment or follow-up follow-up from us for two years that is you know and he was stable there was no concerns about him in in, in, in jail and things like that no medication no treatment or nothing um, we had to see him because of that. And I think he ended up being taken off the mental health act because, mm. you know, there wasn't actually any ground to hold him. Um, <laughs> oh, those are going to always going to be one of my most funniest situations that I've been in. It's just like just the, the, the amount of like uh, uh, amount of force he was trying to put in there to try and intimidate us. And then, you know, to be fair, I was a little intimidated, you know, I mean, he was a, he was a big dude, not tall, you know, I was quite taller than him, but, but, you know, he was solid, mm. you know, obviously he's, he's quite hard. He's been in jail for a long time, known to be aggressive, known to be sort of a very um, uh, assaultative, you know? So, you know, and then you got to weigh that, that shit out, you know, when you go see people and they're mm. quite agitated, you know, and this is my problem, right? And, and this is a problem I've had for a very long time since I started this job is that my own personal, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Honor or my own ego. I, I, it probably is an ego thing, you know, where I've been put into very serious situations where the best course of action should be leave. And I do. There's, there's lots of times where I sort of, decide to leave but there's a, also a significant amount of times <laughs> where i stayed longer than i should have because i'm trying to get my point across or try to de-escalate the situation or try to sort of support the client and i and i put myself in these very odd situations where this person is very aggressive he's threatening he's walking around he's getting all these issues and um and i don't leave because i'm trying to sort of get through to him 
And that's a big learning thing for me that I need to sort of fix ASAP because at some point that's going to put me in a very difficult position where I'm going to probably get assaulted. Mm-hmm. Haven't, haven't yet, you know, knock on wood, you know, that it won't happen to either of us, but, you know, it, it has happened to a lot of nurses out there and a lot of it comes down to complacency. And I don't want to be complacent and I don't think I'm, I am complacent. It's just that sometimes I just feel like I need to have the last word, which is probably not a good thing. <laughs> oh, Giovanni, and I think if you work in a community, especially in mental health, you know, we both have some had quite a few close encounters. Mm. Um, but it made me kind of, you know, listening to you speaking, it kind of, you know, when you're in that situation, especially if you're a second person or because often when there's risk associated with home visits, you, you go in pairs. Um, yeah, apples. Not, yeah. <laughs> I am so sorry. Too. I am so sorry. I have I have no uh, idea where that came from. I did awesome. not mean to oh, oh my god. Sorry, continue with your story, please. Oh, that's awesome. But the thing is, Gio, is um I guess when you start the metal services or start in the new team, you know, a risk is not always clarified, you know or stipulated exactly what's expected when you do a joint home visit. So I want to um, explain a little bit. So let's say, for example, I do a home visit, let's say you and me, we go out. And let's say, worst case scenario, somebody starts assaulting you, for example. What I want to do at that point is save you, you know, kind of get in there, get them on top of you or whatever I need to do. But what I have to do in that situation is actually step back phone the police first for help because mm. the thoughts behind it is if the person overwhelms you, overwhelms me, no help is coming. So I get <laughs> if you see my point, oh. I've actually got a story to tell. It was a learning opportunity for me. Mm. So in our building, you know, um, this alarm, an alarm system, not necessarily for fire or anything, but if an incident happens downstairs and usually it's one of your colleagues that that needs help or an incident has happened and somebody pressed the emergency button. Mm. I was at my desk, drinking my coffee, you know, just writing my notes and suddenly the alarms goes off and I just leave everything and I just run downstairs, you know. Um, and it's quite a moment because immediately, you're, you know, your adrenaline spikes, you're on high alert, you're not sure of what you're walking into. You don't know, you know, what's actually happening Um so I run down and I get to it and it's in one of the consultation rooms. And as I come in, I see um, this distressed person with a little kind of knife right here at the wrist sitting there kind of like really distressed and basically insinuating she's going to slash her wrist open right mm-hmm. there and now kind of highly distressed. And my colleague is kind of like crunched crunch down on the, on the ground de-escalating the situation, you know, talking to the client, you know, basically trying to get the knife off her so that, you know, a, a further incident can be avoided and, um, you know, the situation complained and that, you know, therapeutic work can happen, I guess. And here I am second on the scene and I stand there and I still remember this lady just sitting there any moment now, she's going to slice her wrist. Mm. And at that moment, I thought, what's my role? And I decided that if she starts slicing into her wrist and stabbing herself, whatever she's doing with that knife, Mm. I'll definitely intervene and try and stop her to do so. 
And I also decided that if this person actually starts stabbing my colleague instead, I'll intervene and I'll kind of stop her from doing so. Mm. Mindful that I can get cut and stabbed myself. Mm. Anyways, fortunately, after a while, that incident was de-escalated. The nurse was able to, um, you know, kind of console her, kind of de-escalate the situation. And she handed over the knife without cutting herself, without hurting anybody else. And the client just got up and just walked out of the building. So usually debriefs happen. So the mm. debrief happened. And I actually spoke and said, you know, at that point, I'm second on scene. You know, this is what my actions was, which everybody said, you know, that was, you know, the greatest thing to do to come and support your colleague. Mm. But I also asked, what's my role there? You know, let's say that person did do something. Let's say she did stab herself or stab my colleague is it okay for me to actually come in and 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 prevent that from happening because as a nurse your role is to prevent harm in a way mm. you don't want person to unnecessarily hurt themselves or hurt your colleagues and you are there you know mm. i'm there so the reflection actually was completely opposite the reflection said let's say that person starts slicing into her arms and stabbing herself not to actually put any hands on her or try to stop that from happening basically saying that if you do so, you're putting yourself at harm as well. So then you have two potential, you know, people that got hurt. So they're basically, so this is a hard pull for me to swallow. So then I have to stand there and wait for this person to just continue stabbing herself until she can't anymore and then take the knife off or something. And that's basically the expectation with, you know, emergency services being called, for example, police or ambulance to come and support. Um, I guess, you know, if the person would um, make an advance on my colleague, I think, you know, hopefully my colleague would step away as quick as possible and we can close the door or do whatever we can. But I would mm. try and avoid that from happening. But I guess same thing, phone police, you know, to mm. come in on the scene as quick as possible. It's but a tricky situation, though, isn't learning. it? Because it, it is good learning. Um, and, and the situation, like I said, is quite tricky because our instinct is always to go in and help either prevent something from happening or or try and stop something from happening, which is the same as prevent, um, and, and help, right? Help the situation. But we've been told time and time again, and we look at our risk training, stuff like that. When you're looking at safety, your number one priority is yourself, right? Which makes sense as well. You need to make sure you're safe, and then you start looking at other people to see that they're safe. My brain doesn't work like that, <laughs> you know? And, and I've learned a lot about myself working in this job coming up six years now yeah 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 i just hit my i'm gonna hit my six years this february fucking six years this february oh my god i'll be eight years this february you'll be eight years too holy moly wow (laughs) and i've learned a lot about myself in this job and i don't really care about my own personal safety (laughs) a lot of the time i've been in plenty of I'm not going to say plenty. Um, officially, it's not plenty. I've, I've been in a few situations where I put the safety of others ahead of mm-hmm. mine. And and the scary thing about that is that if it didn't turn out well the way that it was, I could have gone in very big trouble for that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it, it's, hard be- it, it's hard because you are fighting with your natural instinct. And, and this is me personally, right? I, I don't know how other people feel about it. Um, but tell us in the comments 
but you know, I think I find it very hard to fight against my need to just guard and help and follow procedure. And and procedure's there for a reason, right? Because like you said, if you think about it, if we both step in there, we both get overwhelmed. Ain't nobody calling for help if we both mm. fucked, you know? Mm. <laughs> we, um, so that makes a lot of sense. Um, but, you know, I think at the same time, we put a lot of emphasis on... Uh, uh, what's the word? We put a lot of emphasis on your ability to read the situation, right? Your common sense, you know? Obviously, if there's a big dude running around for machete, you're not going to engage him, you know? Um, and, and and if he's definitely, if he's threatening to kill you, like, what would you stand there? Please, sir, don't do that. No, you, you turn around and you run for your fucking life, which is yeah. the exact thing I tell <laughs> students when I go out with them. If I say run, you turn around and you fucking run. You don't ask, you don't ask questions. Luckily, I haven't had been in that situation, but you know, um, but it's tough. I mean, when you come into situations like that, you know, you show up, uh, you you respond to the bell, and and I do have to say, I'm usually one of the first to get down there <laughs> with the bell, um, and it's not because I'm looking for action. You, you know, um, I'm not an adrenaline junkie at all, but my fear is that there's something serious happening, and my a colleague is in trouble. And they're waiting. And, and for them, seconds could be could feel like hours, you know, especially if someone's standing there threatening you. And if someone rings the bell, I'm I'm there, you know, I'm, I'm dropping. I don't give a shit where I am in the building. I'm dropping everything. I'm running down. Um, and and that, because I hope people would do that for me, you know, if I'm ever in a situation where I hit the bell, I, I'm not going to. I expect the entire because that's our protocol. Everyone responds to the bell. I expect every motherfucker in the building to run to my aid to help me, you know? So I provide the same thing. So I do the same thing. If I hear the bell, like ask anyone in the building, who's one of the first down there. And I'm on the third floor. I'm there mm. before people on the first floor is there. People on the ground floor, you know, I'm there. I'm fucking in there, you know, and I'm trying to suss out what I can do to help I'm not running in there blind, but you can do you know, because you don't know what the situation is. Um, I don't think it's a great system, you know, that everyone fucking responds. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's always a, a tricky, scary situation to be in, especially if you don't know what's happening and you're kind of just rushing in there. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I've got another story to tell. It's a, a different colleague that used to work with us as well. Um, he had a different approach. He kind of... Um, Straight away, I know who you're talking about. Yeah. Straight away, <laughs> without even you continuing the story, I already know who you're talking about. Don't always follow the, the safety guidelines, you know. He, but he got <laughs> yes, the yes, job yes. done. He's you know? very by the book. One of the most interesting dudes, though, I do have to say. <clears throat> One of the most interesting dudes I've ever run into in my life. But so me and this guy, we do a home visit out into a boarding house. And I'm one of those nurses that when I come to a house, it, it doesn't matter if it's a boarding house or a caravan or just a normal residential house. I always knock on the door. I go to the front door, I knock on the door. If nobody answers the door, I never go in, you know. I won't even see if it's locked or unlocked. I'll just knock and I might kind of sometimes, if I'm really concerned, look to, you know, see if a window is open or something. But I sometimes would go around the side of the house and just make a noise and stuff and yell, you know, make sure that, you know, people know I'm there. But if I get no response, like nobody opens the door, so I'll leave and I'll come back another day. This guy, he doesn't, you know, he knocks on the door, nobody, he just opens the door, walks into the house. 
you know. If the, if the door is open, and yeah, he'll just walk in. Yeah, he just walks in, and and there I'm standing, and I remember thinking, he just walked into the house. He's there in the house, and do I just wait outside because I'm not really legally allowed to enter an, an house without mm. being invited into it? I don't think so. But you want to support your colleague. You don't want him to but, be in a dangerous situation by himself. Yeah, but at the same time, my colleague just walked into the house, and I decided, well, I'll. Let's walk into the house. So I walk into the house after him. You know, Mindy, you're I'm, very I'm back, bro. Remember, you're also a very impressionable new nurse at that time, right? Yes. Couple years under your belt at the most. Yes. So I walk into the house with him. He just walks straight down the hallway. I'm down the hallway. Got your back, bro. And he knocks on the <laughs> he knocks on the you know on the bedroom door, and no response. And he's like, "Okay, LJ, you just wait here." And he's out the back door. He's around the house to see if somebody jumped out of the window or just to scout the area. I don't know what. That's the kind of nurse he is, you know, very proactive. And he comes yeah, that's, back. That, that's like, one way to say it. Yeah, proactive. That's one way to say it. But he comes intrusive, back. Intrusive, maybe. I think yeah. slightly intrusive. Slightly. So <laughs> he comes back, you know, into the, you know, from the back door into the hallway. And now we're on our way out. The person we are looking for is clearly not home. And as we enter into the lounge, I don't know, Giovanni, where did all these people come from? The whole place was full of people, you know, and not happy people. They were yelling and swearing and screaming and people just surrounded us. And for a moment, I thought I'm going to be in a brawl with all these people. And, you know, he stood his ground. He explained why he's there. They didn't really care. They wanted to know why did we enter that house? You know, who gave us the authority? And they got quite upset and aggressive, you know, making advances on us. So we kind of left as quick as we could, you know, but we couldn't just turn our backs. We just had to. And I still remember getting that car. It's like, wow, did that just happen? You know? Mm. And very, I felt very unsafe. I must be honest. And, and they were justified too with their anger, you know? But can you imagine if, 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 if there was an assault there, you know, who, you know, what would the DHP say? You know, like, Oh, you guys would be fucked. For sure, <laughs> for sure, because the first thing they're going to ask, <sighs> how did you guys enter the house and how would you, you know, were you guys invited in? Oh, no, we just fucking walked in straight away. That That's breaching yeah. someone's private, that, that's breaking into someone's private property, yeah. you know? So, so, so to be honest, your nursing career would have been a very short one. <laughs> very short one, yes. So I reflect on that, man. So it's sometimes, but it makes hard. If, if okay, this is self-reflection. Let's have my colleague knocks on the door and before i know it he walks into the house would you follow him into that house or would you stay outside and actually just scream at him to come back oh no like i said i always struggle with my need to help and to follow protocol it doesn't always align i'd be in there i'd be fucking in there with him straight away no no not even no questions i'd be in there not because um i condone what he's doing but it's already happened, right? You you didn't know he was going to go in there. He kind of just did it, you know? Not to mention he was a much, much more senior nurse than you. Um, and you have to be able to trust your colleagues that they know what they're doing and they, they're they doing the right thing. Um, I'd, I'd be in there 100%, you know? Um, and it's obviously the wrong thing to do, you know? But then in the, in the moment, at, at, you know, um, in the moment, you kind of have to just roll with what presents in front of you, you know, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of shit goes down in the moment that you can't plan for. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I've got a question for you, me and you, we we've had our fair share of, of, of 
pretty concerning events, shall we say, right? I think we've talked about um, the gun mm. incident in the office already. You know, obviously we've, we've talked a, a couple of stories about going to people's houses and, and these things happen. Do you ever, you know, and, and I find we always laugh at it. You know, we come back, it's like, ha ha, what a hilarious situation. Ha 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 ha. Um, yeah. Which I still think it is. <laughs> which is a coping strategy, obviously. Does it does it influence the way that you practice being in those situations, which which we we are in off more often than not? Do you find that it influences the way that you follow up people? Like, have you become more brazen in your follow up over the years? Um, do you have, you'll have to ask again. Do you do you, do you feel like? Because you've survived these situations oh, and you've yeah. come away from these situations unscathed, right? And at the end of the day, you actually achieved your goal of, of either getting someone's medication or, or seeing them, assessing them and doing all this stuff. Has it impacted your day-to-day follow-up? Like, do you feel like less afraid to take risks? No. Do you know, Giovanni, because um, I've been doing home visits now with quite a few colleagues, everybody for a different style of practice, even myself, and I've been involved in quite a few incidents. I guess what it actually, um, sorry, Jim. Hey, turn your work phone off, man. We finished <laughs> over, we finished at five. Yes. <laughs> so what I've actually noticed is I've seen quite a few different situations, scenarios, kind of, and I often reflect on what actually happened, why did it happen, you know, um, and I've noticed I've actually become more cautious because I know how quickly things can become, you know, um, unsavorly or how unpredictable things can go. So mm. um, I definitely have become more cautious. And sometimes even things that happen to my colleagues, um, especially more senior colleagues, um, just shows me, hey, it's real out there. People actually get hurt. Colleagues get hurt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's a few colleagues I'm thinking of now that, you know, comes to mind that's actually been seriously injured in the community. Yeah. I'm um, actually trying to help people, you know, mm. um, and going in pairs of two and everything and, uh, you know, have seriously been assaulted. Mm. Um, so I've become more cautious, you know, because there's a lot of things that, you know, I am mindful of is, is the person we're seeing, flatmates, family, the environment in itself, like I've even started shopping for better shoes that better grip because I don't want to slide <laughs> and fall on the deck and then the person has to help me up, you know. Um, or oh, you, oh, you get left behind. <laughs> exactly, you know. <laughs> um, so it's the environment. And then there's always things like dogs and stuff. You know, I'm always mindful of dogs, you know, on, on our site. Yes. Um, especially the pit bull breeds. Um, Actually, for you, any dog really is not <laughs> I think I think Pitbull is like yes, that's a that's a given. Even a puppy, I've seen you actually freeze when you when a puppy showed up. So, um, but do you know I'm also using a lot more, um, I guess, what can I say, resources or people, you know, other agencies to actually make contact and stuff. So I often, and I actually prefer working alongside probation, community support mm. workers. Um, other NGOs out there like PARS and stuff like that, you know, just to see, um, you know, I guess spread that risk and see if there's other ways of communication and who's involved and who's not involved. Mm. But I guess for me personally, I've become more cautious. Um, Mm. What about you, Gio? Thinking about it now, because this conversation kind of just um, brought that question up. 
thinking about it now, I would possibly say I'm definitely more cautious, but it's also made me a lot more confident in my in my assessment skills. I feel this so far confident and not in a in, in a cocky way in terms of I, I trust in what I see and what my assessment um, brings and the information I've gained from that assessment. So like if I show up to a house and 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 I assess the situation and it doesn't look too dangerous, I, I'm going to go with that assessment. Well, as possibly someone else who would look at that same house, you know, um, and feel like that's a very dodgy looking house. Let's probably not do that. Um, would probably have a different assessment than me. Um, I feel like over the years, I've definitely uh, cautious. I, I think I think you're right. You know, I'm tr- I'm struggling to think of the exact word, but I'm guessing. I, I guess cautious is is the correct way to say it because I, you have to be cautious. You know, you, like I said earlier, you can't be complacent in sort of the work that you do, especially the work that we do. Because all the people that we've kind of thought about, a majority of them who got hurt um, were either complacent, you know, and, and sort of just went in there quite blasé about the entire issue, or it didn't, they didn't see it coming, you know. And I'm thinking about one in particular, uh, one that happened quite recently where our, our colleague got assaulted and it came out of nowhere. You know, he was there with another colleague, the family were nearby and, and all these things. And then, you know, he unfortunately got seriously assaulted. So. I have to remind myself that it does happen. I have this really weird cowboy sort of mentality that it's not going to happen to me. Um, and that's a form of complacency as well. Um, but I but I also feel like I, ha- I can't second guess myself when I'm in situations like that. I need to be able to sort of run with my initial thoughts and my initial uh, assessment uh, uh, that, I, that I picked up at that time. And I, and I need to run with it. I feel like if I start second guessing myself, especially in the moment, that's when things possibly can start to shake. Um, but the benefit of, of, of us, well, I mean, the, the, there's a reason why we go in, in pairs, right? Is that you'll see something that I probably missed. And then when you bring that, I'll add that to my overall assessment and then, you know, formulate another plan. Case in fact, that time we went and saw that dude for uh, just an assessment, you know, (laughs) and we kind of showed up there and he was out the front and he was pacing around in a singlet and you could just tell this guy was elevated as hell. He was so elevated, you know, he had this look in his eye. You can tell he was he was done. And for some reason, we pulled in anyway. We got out of the door. I could tell you were already nervous about being there. And I was nervous, too. Um, but I wanted to talk. I wanted to tell him this is what's going to happen. You know, we're going to come back with with supports. We're going to admit you, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to at least have that conversation, especially with the brother who was there. Um, and I feel like I took a little bit too much time. And then you kind of told me, oh, we need to get the hell out of here, bro. Because he started <laughs> taking off his shirt. He tried to hung you and, and he was really in our personal space. And then you said, hey, we need to get out of here, man. And then, then it clicked to me. I was like, fuck, you're right. We need to go. Like, what the hell am I doing here talking to this guy? You know, trying to, and I was just, but what I was basically trying to do was just to explain to the brother, this is what's happening. Because I feel like for the family, a lot of the time, they don't know what's happening and giving them a bit of a heads up actually goes a long way and giving them something to sort of, uh, to know, you know, what's going to happen next can be very helpful in terms of what they can do to help support you and support your client. 
So I guess that's what I was that in, in the moment. That's what I was trying to do was trying to provide that extra support or to try and sort of get that message across. But, you know, uh, weighing it up now on reflection and you can only reflect back on these past experiences. Mm. And that was a stupid fucking thing for me to do, <laughs> you know. But Giovanni, you know, this, I guess, is up to the listeners and, you know, you'll, you'll even have a different take than me. So in this week, I do a home visit, you know, to a boarding house and I'm seeing a person who has an extent of his history of offending, verbal aggression, physical aggression, substance abuse, I'm, I'm, you know, person is impulsive, unpredictable, you name it, mm. and not in a good space. So here I go with, with a colleague, you know, and, you know, I've got my full PPE on with my goggles and everything. <laughs> I can't really see anything, but here I am. And I knock on the door, he comes out and he comes and sits on the back steps and he's got a spoon, you know, like a tablespoon. And he sits there and he fiddles with it. And we have a conversation and stuff. In my mind, that is a weapon. I look at that and it's like, he can literally grab the spoon and start stabbing me at it and stuff. Mm. That's my suspicious mind. Just like, be careful, you know, Mm. give a bit of distance, keep your cool um, and keep it on point. Mm. My colleague at the time didn't even think of a spoon that can be a weapon. And most people wouldn't think of a spoon being a weapon. And I think even you yourself might say, LJ, come on, man. That's a bit no, too no, sensitive. I, I any, any, anything in a person's hand. If your fists can be weapons, right? Anything, anything in your hand could be a weapon, I reckon. You know, if, this, if it adds to, to, you know, if it can cause damage, you know. No, I'd be on you. I'd be on your side of that one. But that's the stuff I always think. And sometimes, especially I notice this with colleagues who hasn't worked in a community for long or haven't mm. got that experience. If this, let's say you do a home visit, you knock on the front door, they stand right behind you. Like, you know, like, man, you know, like if I need to move, you're behind me blocking if, if me. If people so look, yeah, <laughs> that, that's a very good point. If people look at me and you, right, me and you, because we've worked together for so long and we kind of know each other's nuances. When we go home visiting, if I'm knocking the door, you know how to you know you know where to position yourself right plenty of space for me to back out and plenty of space but not too much space where you're too far away that if you need to jump in and help and i've had the same situation with a lot of you know new stuff mostly because they don't know you know so it's not their fault you know they're like right up close to you as if you're going there for like a jolly <laughs> visit you know um but you're there to provide uh, you know uh, uh cares for someone who fucking hates you you know so you have to be aware of, of some of those situations so I, I got another question with being really wary, right? You know, you see someone holding a spoon and to everyone else, probably not everyone, but to a majority of, of the population will be like, it's innocent, right? It's just a spoon. Um, but you look at it as a potential weapon. How do you balance that out with the recovery principles, which is basically seeing the best in everyone and, and then sort of always, always thinking positively that, you know, that, you know, um, in general, generally, you know, being mm. um, positive about this person's future and independence, and and sort of believing that this person will 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 move towards uh, recovery and get better, right? How do you balance that out with <laughs> with being overly cautious all the time? Because I don't, I, I find you can't do both, right? You can't be overly optimistic about someone, um, and and at the same time be overly wary. Do you, do you find a struggle balancing that from time to time? And, and which one actually wins over? Does recovery, the recovery principles win over? Or do you being cautious about safety wins? 
Giovanni, you won't believe me, but I see this on the same spec on the same uh, graph, if you want to say. So I'll explain it this way. Let's say a person comes into onto my caseload and there's issues with addiction. Um, let's say there's forensic issues, uh, issues with family, let's say issues with psychosis, whatever the issues may be. Um, I would say, for example, I'm realistic, you know, I'm saying, you know, there's a lot of risk associated, you know, here I have to be careful. So I see it more as a beginning or the starting point of recovery in a way. And as different factors or interventions come into play, hopefully that risk reduces. Let's say, for example, something simple, person is really psychotic, very verbally, very physically aggressive due to the stress or whatever is going on for that person. Mm. You give a bit of medication, that all settles down. Lovely person in, in the end as, as a very simplistic example. So that level of risk has changed. Mm which now kind of shows how the person is moving on the same, you know, or on the graph of, of recovery yeah, uh, or on the timeline of recovery, I guess. Mm. But I'm also mindful that it's different for person to person. Some people that risk just kind of is very slow, you know, it, 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 or sometimes, you know, for example, I might have a person with not a lot of risk and things are going well and suddenly, they use substances or things just go really wrong. They don't take medication or whatever. And suddenly the risk becomes more prominent again. Mm. Um, so I see it more as the same kind of thing. And I'm very realistic to know that there is actually people that, you know, will always likely to assault you or, you know, because, you know, often I see people with extensive history of verbal physical aggression, you know, and, um, have done a lot of, you know, I've done sentence because of it. Um, mm. And just in the interactions and stuff, the vibes you get and stuff, you have to be careful on how you approach the person. Um, so sometimes, you know, I'm very realistic to say this risk is quite real. Um, so I'm very realistic, but I'm still aiming. My mm. aim point is, you know, for the discharge point where things, mm. when, when yeah. things are, are good, right? And you're right. Um, <clears throat> it, it, looking at part of recovery is looking at the present as a whole, right? Which is taking everything into, into perspective, which is their good side and, and, and their, the, the bad side, if you can call it a bad side, their, their, um, their risks, right? Because all of it makes a person, but it's actually trying to focus on their strengths and what their, what good stuff that they're doing and using that as a way for them to focus on that, as opposed to focusing on the negative all the time. Um, but you have to, and I guess that's been the whole topic of this conversation, right? Is that safety is just as important, though safety for yourself and safety for them. Um, but it's it's like I said at, in almost every episode, there's no it's nothing's purely black and white, right? I think there's a lot of gray area, but that's kind of the beauty of of, of mental health, right? Is that you can kind of it, you, there's no real straightforward answer mm. and and that may sound like a bad thing but actually it to me it, it it means there's many answers to one particular issue or one particular question right there's not just this this a equals b you know a actually equals b c d e f g mm. you know and they all just as important just as mm. effective and giovanni it's interesting i guess um you know something I'm also mindful of is, is what are, what's the reality, you know, what can our service actually provide? What do we specialize in and what, what's, what can we provide, you know? Um, so, for, and, and then I guess, you know, kind of keep it within scope, even mm. though as a mental health nurse, it kind of crosses, you know, a yeah. little bit into social work, a little bit, all those kind of things. Mm. Mm. 
but I, you know, I see it sometimes, let's say a person comes into the service, you know, on, on, onto my caseload. Um, I usually see it as the starting point. Let's say, for example, this addiction as an example, and addiction, you know, as having a massive impact on this person's well-being as an example. I can have that initial discussions, you know, around addiction and things, and then connect them, let's say, with CADS, you know, community outbound drug services or dual diagnosis or somebody who specialize with with addiction who can help a bit more Mm. and you know let that journey go and then i'll focus a bit more for example is there issues let's say for example with um you know day-to-day living activities or whatever and connecting them with the community support workers so um almost like having that initial kind of discussions assessments and then bringing the relevant services involved Mm. um you know Otherwise, it gets so big, you won't be able to hold everything and you'll drown, I guess. But that's how I see you know, this very interesting kind of role as a community mental health nurse. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely multiple aspects to it. And it's not as, oh, this should be the, the motto of our, uh, of our podcast. It's not as straightforward as we'd like it to be, you know? Mm. Well, man, listen, I think that was very insightful into some of the... Uh, some of the situations we've been in, you know, and a non-reflection now coming to, you know, to, to round it all up. I think we've had a fair, <laughs> more than our fair share of situations. Why do you think that? Why do you think, you know, why do you think me and you, and, and I guess, well, uh, let's stick with me and you, you know, thinking of the current people that are in our offices now over the last three years, even why is it me and you that seems to be having a lot of uh, close encounters, shall we say? Is it the clientele that we work with, or do you think it's our personality? Or <laughs> definitely your approach, something, something in the water? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, do you know, Giovanni? I think there's a combination of factors. I think, um, you know, since we're in the intensive team, it, it it's more likely as well. You know, because we, as an intensive team, you get a lot more complexity, but also hard to follow up clients. Which mm. in itself, if you think about it. Why is the person hard to follow up? Is it just as simple as this person doesn't have an address and you don't know where to find them? Or do they not actually want to engage in your service? Mm. Um, which basically puts a lot of kind of worms. They don't really want to see you. They don't want to answer your phone calls and things. And then if you kind of knock on the door, it's not well received. Mm. Um, you know, um, and I also noticed that the, the inpatient units often, when a person is discharged, recommend intensivists to come in initially, I guess, to help kind of transition from an inpatient setting into a community setting with a bit more. So sometimes you still have a bit of, you know, um, early warning signs or a person is not completely back to their usual self or, you know. Um, but yeah, I also think, you know, this element of being a, when you're a male, you know, um, the team is more likely to give you the antisocial aggressive, um, you know, person who, you know, which sounds Bye. terrible. That, that, that's, that's something I wanted to female with blue eyes, you know, <laughs> listen, I'm, I'm all about equality, right? Equality between the genders. And I, why do we get given high risk people, males, um, as opposed to our female colleagues, regardless of when we're, even when we weren't intensivists, we were still getting a lot of these things. Is it because, and, 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 and you start to feel this way, is it because we are 
we aren't cared about enough. <clears throat> like, like no one really, you know, oh, the guys, they'll, they'll be able to handle it sort of deal, which we do. We handle it very fucking well, by the way. Mm, too well. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, um, I, I kind of question some of these things because, you know, when, when we come to the allocation side, like, oh, this guy needs a male. Nothing to do with the sexualization or, or, or stuff like that. You know, this guy's aggressive, blah, blah, blah. And my argument is always, you know, when they say, oh, this guy's aggressive, he's assaulted people in the past, um, let's give it to a male. And my argument is me getting punched in the face is just as bad as the female getting punched in the face. That's my argument, right? Mm -hmm. So I don't see a reason why I, I don't think just because we're males doesn't mean we have the best fit for it, you know? It, there's an argument to be made that some antisocial males respond better to females, actually, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of the times, a lot of antisocial males have had trauma with other males, mm. you know? So throwing another male in there, which is an authority type figure, which is kind of what we are, even though we try to balance that out. Um, is that really the best way forward for, for these people? I don't know. That's a, that, that's a good point, Giovanni, because me, myself, even though I'm a male and I'm kind of bigger about and things, I guess out of a lot of my colleagues, I really don't like violence. Like I have not really been in a physical fight, you know, not really, you know, and I really try to avoid it as well. I, mm. you know, it's not my cup of tea thing. Otherwise I would have, mm. you know, chosen a different profession, but I'm actually truly there to help, you know, yeah. and see if yeah. I can, you know, support the person to, to get hit, get ahead, I guess. Um, but this, yeah. is an, this, is, this is an interesting question I always ask myself. You know, when it comes to allocation and, and the best person forward, why are we still basing it on our genders? I feel like females can, can, can stand on their own. I feel like they can hold their own and sort of manage a lot of these, these guys. Um, and like I said, I think it's just as bad me getting punched in the mm. face as any one of my female colleagues getting punched in the face. I just feel like there's a lot more emphasis on protecting our female colleagues than it is our male colleagues. And coming from, you know, holding a lot of traditional views, I think that's what we should do. But also coming from a dude that's always at risk of getting punched in the face, I feel like there's some, there should be some emphasis on our safety, you know? Because um, I feel like we're, I, think we, I feel like the DHBs are quite blase around who we get allocated, you mm -hmm. know? Share the risk around, bro. Come on. You know? Yeah, I agree, Joe. And something I've also wanted to ask is, do you think it's allocated to you and me because we are seen as experienced clinicians in the community, <laughs> able to... <laughs> <laughs> possibly, 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 possibly. And that's why? Um, I think we've had a lot of experience uh, dealing with a lot of antisocial uh, males. Um I know I made an argument on how, you know, the possibility of, of, of females being a much more positive influence on antisocial males because the likelihood of trauma that was caused on them was perpetrated by males. Um, <clears throat> but I also think on, on the flip side of that coin is that having a positive role model male in, in that person's life could actually also have a, a, a lot of positive effects for them as well. Um, but that's going too deep into the question. My thing is... <laughs> <laughs> Why are we basing this on gender? You know, why don't we just move away, evolve like the rest of the world, you know, and base it on skill, you know? Um, but also to, to your point, me and you would be one of the more experienced male nurses at the moment in our building. So there's also that. <laughs> yeah. 
Giovanni, and, and you know, if I have to consider, let's say, new referrals coming to our team, personally, I think it should be based on that presentation. You know, does this person actually need a social worker? Does mm. this person need an occupational <clears throat> therapist? Would this person benefit more with a nurse? Um, and then also kind of other things, you know, um, that come into play, you know, for example, psychology and all those kind of things. I think that should be, a, a you know, one of the primary things that gets um, considered when a person gets allocated. I think they're supposed to. I think that's not just we're... to say antisocial male. Here you go. You know, yeah. well, I think that's what the whole allocation meetings are supposed to be about. It's supposed to be allocating them based on their needs. Mm. Unfortunately, what it comes down to and because statistically, a lot of our male colleagues have had at some point in their lot, not male colleagues, our male clients have at one point in their lives engaged in some violent acts or have been in trouble with police, have presented with some antisocial uh, presentations. Um, and I think it's it, it's difficult because then they'll end up just saying, listen, this person bred off of a male. And my argument to that is it may not be, you know, it. I mean, it may not be the best fit having a male go in for this particular male. That's what oh, I, I actually want to give an example, Gio, there. So I've been allocated a young male, you know, onto my caseload, um, basically needing, I would say, more social work input. But he's been allocated to me, a registered nurse, because he's, risk. he's, he's yeah, because of risk. Mm. You know, yeah. he's not on injection. He doesn't need any nursing input. You know, mm. it's more social work. But there's no. <clears throat> is there any male social workers in our team? Like I can't even think of any. Um, yes, we got one. One. Oh, we've got one. Yeah. Yeah, we got. Um, one. But then allocated onto my caseload. So two. We got two. Two. Two sits right next to him next to the right. printer i'm not going to name names ah no yes yes okay. you know you know who i'm talking about now right? yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah yeah but it's but but you see so it's been allocated to me because more of my gender i guess and um i'm more able to manage sexist risk. that's what it is yeah absolute well, sexism running rampant within the dhps yeah. oh we should go protest our rights <laughs> as men yeah, i don't know I don't know. I mean, some people could argue that, you know, uh, we'll be able to handle ourselves well, um, which goes completely against the argument that all the genders are equal, which I think they are. But, you know, uh, but yeah, yeah, I don't know. I think uh, it's easier just to hand it on to males because we're seen as being able to handle it, I guess, you know, which is not fair. Which is not fair, because I know a, a lot of our female colleagues can handle just absolutely fucking fine and actually possibly better than what we could do, you know? And at the end of the day, the client loses out, you know, at a possible key worker who could have definitely provided that support and that care that would have been most effective. That's what we're supposed to be basing this on, right? What is the most mm -hmm. effective care can we provide for these people? Um, and unfortunately, we possibly could be missing the mark on that aspect, you know? Because Giovanni, you can still be safe. Like in a way, is still go out in pairs, you know. Um, and if, if fuck, I don't <laughs> go out in a fruit salad. Oh my god, go out with a fruit salad, bananas, the whole uh, lot. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's definitely ways of, of of doing it safely, for sure. But listen, I think um, damn quite a deep dive into some of the issues that we've been through eh? and uh i reckon 
this gender conversation is not complete. We need to no. have a, a, one of our um, opposite gender colleagues join us in that discussion and see what they feel about it all. They may argue, hey, you guys are more uh, <laughs> are more disposable, dispensable. You guys are more dispensable <laughs> than we are. Um, and, and my argument will be, uh, no, we are just as dispensable. You are just as dispensable as us. <laughs> you know. All right, man. Well, man, listen, thanks for today. That was a great conversation. And um, we'll pick up and pick up next week with another topic, huh? Cool. Thank you, Gio.